Tonight, I want you to open your Bible, if you will, please, to the last page of Scripture, to Revelation chapter 22, and while you're finding your place, which ought not take you very long, I don't think, start at the end and go backward, all right? While you're finding your place, may I ask, how many of you did your homework and you read this chapter? Would you raise your hand? Look at this. I tell you, this is a church full of overachievers. I like it. Very good. So I want to challenge you to do the same thing between tonight and tomorrow night. Read it again, not while I'm preaching, but on your own time, all right? And ask the Lord to speak to you. In fact, if I could challenge you to do something, if you can do it this way, read it on your knees. Did you know when you read the Bible on your knees, it does something because it brings you into a a posture and an attitude of prayer. It leads you to talk to God. It's helped me through the years, frankly, to read my Bible on my knees because when I do it, I did it this morning, when I do it, it helps me respond to God and talk to God about what God is talking to me about. And so try to read it prayerfully. And if you're in a, in a situation where you say, well, if I get down on my knees, I'm not going to get back up again, don't do that, all right? But read it prayerfully because it's a powerful chapter. It's the last thing God left us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and this is what it's all coming to, friends. This is what we're leading to. Look at Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be... No more curse. <laughs> I want to stop here and say, thank you, Jesus. Won't that be a glorious day? But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. I love that word. I'm not preaching on it tonight. I have preached on it before, but I love that word, shortly. Isn't that a beautiful word? It's not an exact time, but it is an exact promise. How many of you remember when you were children and you asked your dad, how much longer till we get there? And he gave that vague answer shortly. Didn't you hate it when you got that answer? But inevitably, you arrived. And I want you to know that shortly Jesus is coming. Shortly, all this is coming to an end. Shortly, we're going to be in the presence of God forever. When's he coming? Next time somebody asks you that, just tell them, shortly, because that's a Bible answer. Shortly, it shall be done. And then Christ's words in verse 7. Behold, pay attention, he says. Look, behold. I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, 
to give every man according as his work shall be. I want you to do something, if you will, tonight. I want you to go to verse number 7, and I want you to mark the first four words, beginning of verse 7. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Behold, I come quickly. Then I want you to come to verse number 12 and mark the same exact four words. He repeats himself for emphasis, Behold, I come quickly. And I want you to connect those two statements in your Bible. And I want to ask you a personal question. Once you've marked it, I want you to lift your head and look me in the eye for a moment. And I'd like to ask you, what difference has that made in your life? We all say we believe it. If I went around this room tonight and I said, do you believe in God? Oh, yes, I believe in God. Do you believe that His Son died and was buried and rose from the dead? Yes, I believe that. Do you believe He ascended to heaven? Yes, I believe it. Do you believe what He said, that He's coming back? Oh, yes, I believe He's coming back. Do you believe He could come at any moment and people give their mental assent, they give their nod of the head, and they say, oh, yes, I believe Jesus may come any moment. That's what the Bible says. So I came to ask you tonight, if you actually believe that, what difference did that make in your life today? And perhaps more importantly, what difference will it make in your life tomorrow? What will change because of that? What will you do differently? What what needs to be eliminated and what needs to be added? What priorities need to be arranged? Watch, please. If you are really living on the edge of eternity in any moment, you may step out of this world and into the next. What difference is that made in your life? It's one thing to say Jesus is coming. We say it almost lightly, almost flippantly. When's He coming? When people least expect Him. And any moment, like a thief in the night, I want you to know the Lord Jesus is coming. Now, I'm going to just testify for a minute. I'm not afraid of that. If the thought that Jesus is coming makes you afraid, it probably means you don't have the right relationship with Him because I've never once been afraid of my wife showing up. I get excited about it. I love her and she loves me. And when you have the right kind of relationship with the Lord, you're not afraid of His return. You're excited about His return. So I want to testify and tell you, I know that Jesus is my Savior, and I know that I belong to Him and He belongs to me. I'm not afraid of Him showing up. I'm looking forward to that day. But on the flip side of that, I want to say to you as a Christian that I do fear that I may stand before the Lord Jesus someday and realize that I spent my life on this planet giving my attention and my energy and my time and my resources to things that did not matter for eternity. And so I want you tonight to go to the end and work your way backward to where you are at this moment. If Jesus Christ is coming, what difference should that make in your life? Now, he says it twice in the Scripture that we've read tonight. And I think this is interesting because those two statements really divide two sections of this chapter. So here's what I want to do, and I'm going to do it very quickly. First of all, I'm going to show you three things that will happen when He does come. And then I'm going to show you three things that should happen until He comes. Sounds like every alarm in the building is going off tonight. Jesus could come just that fast, you know. And the next sound you hear may be the trumpet sounding, so get ready for it. Any moment, Jesus may come. So let's start here. What three things will happen when He does come? Well, back up, if you will, please, to the first part of the chapter and notice the way it begins. Here's the first thing. Look at verse number 4. Let's start here. The Bible says, And they shall see His face. Circle that word see in your Bible in verse number 4. Here's the first thing that's going to happen when Jesus comes. Number one, we're going to see Him. Isn't that glorious? Can you see me tonight? It's rough to look at, isn't it? But look up here just a second. Can you see me tonight? Yes or no? Yes. And guess what? I can see you. As you know from a platform, you sure can see a lot. 
Oh, yes, you can. It's a different vantage point. But do you understand, as surely as I see you and you see me, there's going to come a day that we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. Do you understand? This is not some children's fairy tale, some figment of the imagination, something we dreamed up. This is the exact promise of the Word of God. There is coming a day that you are going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 says, Someday every eye will see Him, and those who pierced Him will wail because of Him. Let me give you some good news if you're a child of God. You're not just going to see Him for a moment and mourn. You're going to see Him for eternity and celebrate because you're going to live with Him for all eternity. You know, 1 John chapter 4 says, No man hath seen God at any time. We like to quote that, don't we? Nobody's seen God at any time. God's a spirit and no man has seen God at any time. But did you ever notice that in the very same book of the Bible, in 1 John chapter number 3, the Bible says that when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Look, please, you haven't seen Him yet, but you're going to. Now I've seen Him only through eyes of faith, but someday soon I'm going to see the Lord Jesus and what a day that's going to be. And look at the verse. Everybody look at verse number four. When you see Him, God is going to stamp His name on you. That's glorious, isn't it? Now this may look a little odd. His name shall be in their forehead. Somebody says, I don't want anybody's name on my forehead, but let me explain what that means. It means, watch this, that there's coming a day that the Lord's going to put His mark on you, His his good name, His glorious name, the name of His glory is going to rest upon your life. I promise you, you're going to want that name on you someday. And if you're a Christian, His name is going to rest on your life. And what does that mean? It means you get access. Look, please. Only those who bear His name get access. And you're going to have access to the throne of the Creator God of the universe. Now, you can come to the throne tonight in prayer, but you're going to come to the throne face to face that day. Face to face in all His glory. Face to face, what will it be? The Bible says in Corinthians that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, when we see the Lord someday, I'm telling you, God's going to transform everything. He's going to make you just like the Lord Jesus in the presence of a holy God when you see Him as He is. That's not all. Go back to our passage for just a moment and notice please, when you see Him, God's going to let lots of wonderful things connect to that. See, every good thing is connected to the presence of God. Look at verse number 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life. So there's going to be life there someday. Notice in verse 2, there's not only the water of life, there's the tree of life. Look, everybody remember in Genesis? Everybody remember in Genesis when God said to Adam and Eve, you can't eat of the what? Tree of life. Remember, they'd already eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and fallen, so God said, you're not going to eat of the tree of life and live forever in your fallen state. That was mercy in itself. And he drove them out of the garden of Eden, and he set that angel with a flaming sword to keep the way of the what? Tree of life. This is beautiful to me, like bookends on the Bible. The tree of life was in Genesis, and Adam and Eve never got to eat of it, and God removed it from them. But when you get to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, God brings you right to the tree of life and says, go ahead and eat of it, because you can live forever in this state. Watch this. Everything Adam lost in the garden, we're going to get back and much more someday. I'm telling you, Jesus changes everything. And someday soon, we're going to see Him. The Bible says that a tree of life, the leaves ever to be for the healing of the nations. How many of you know our world is wounded? 
We're living in one more messed up world, but someday God's going to straighten it all out. God's going to bring the healing. So there is life, and then there is love, and then watch this, there is light. The Bible says in verse 5, there'll be no night there. You're not going to need a candle there. You're not going to need the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God giveth them light. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we see Jesus someday? Watch this. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. There'll be a new Jerusalem. Watch this, please. All of them will revolve around the God who never changed. He is the eternal God. He's the everlasting God. He has always been light and life and love, but He's going to make all things new someday, including me and you. How many of you are getting excited about getting a new body? Would you raise your hand? That's going to be nice. And watch this, please. On that day, the greatest glory will be this. We're going to be with Jesus. Somebody says, well, well, tell me more about the place. It's not about the place, it's about the person. Well, well, tell me where heaven is. Look, I'll tell you where heaven is. It's wherever Jesus is. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. Matter of fact, look back one page in your Bible. Look at chapter 21, verse number 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. Three times in one verse, God's going to be with us. When Jesus came, he, His name was Emmanuel, God with us. But look, please, He was God with us for a moment, and then the Holy Spirit has sent God to abide with us. But this is wonderful. Someday God says, I'm going to bring you right to where I am, and I'm going to dwell with you, and you're going to dwell with me for all eternity. Let me just tell you, you can't beat being a Christian. God lives in your house now, and you go to live in His house for all eternity. And so the first thing that's going to happen when Jesus comes, number one, we're going to see Him. Number two, would you write this down? Not only are we going to see Him, we're going to serve Him. That's right. For years, I had this mental picture that when we all get to heaven, we're all going to have these nice little robes on, and we're going to sit on clouds floating around everywhere and just strumming harps, and we're going to be terribly bored. And I tell you, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. As a matter of fact, I've heard preachers preach that when you get to heaven, you're going to know everything. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say you're going to know everything. It says you're going to know even as you are known. Do you know how terribly boring it would be to get there and suddenly you know everything, you've done everything, there's nothing else to experience? Let me tell you something about the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is an infinite God. That means there is no end to who He is. There is no exhausting of God's amazing character and nature. And I believe, I believe that we're going to spend the rest of eternity going deeper into who God is and learning more every day. I'm telling you, the greatest adventure you've ever lived is what is facing you when Jesus Christ comes. We're not going to sit around bored to tears. No, here's what we're going to do. Everybody look at verse number 3. There should be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb should be in it, and His servants shall what? Serve Him. Can I tell you the greatest title ever given to any man was this, He's a servant of the Lord. In fact, I was, I was studying today in the Psalms and I came across one of the Psalms, and one of the inscriptions said, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. And it just struck me, Pastor. It struck me. It didn't say David, the giant killer. It didn't say David, the king of Israel. It didn't say David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. It didn't say David, the daddy of Solomon. You know what it said? David, the servant of the Lord. And I tell you, the greatest thing that could ever be said of your life here and there is that you are a servant of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, I want to be a servant, but I don't serve him perfectly here. 
In fact, I fall short many days and fail the Lord. Any of you there with me? But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. When Jesus comes, we're going to serve Him perfectly. We're not going to have this old flesh to deal with, praise God, and a sin-cursed world and other fallen people around us. And on top of that, this will make you shout, the devil's going to be shut up for all eternity. And his servants shall serve him. There's a third thing that's going to happen when Jesus comes. Not only are you going to see him and you're going to serve him, but number three, you're going to sit with him. Somebody says, what do you mean by that? Oh, you see, there's a seat of honor there. He's the Lord Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. But everybody look at verse number 5. I love this. There's no night there. They don't need the candle, neither the light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And what's the next word, church? And what? They. Circle that in your Bible. It doesn't say He shall reign. We know He's going to reign, but watch this. It says they. Thank you, Jesus, for this. God lets us get in on His reign. The Bible says they shall reign forever and ever. In Revelation 20, we're going to reign with Him on the earth. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will come back and set up His throne on this earth and rule and reign for a thousand years. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. And I believe we're going to rule and reign with Him. But do you understand by the time you get to Revelation 22, he's not talking about the millennial reign of Christ. He's talking about the eternal reign of Christ because the Bible says they shall reign forever and ever. And I tell you, the Lord Jesus has already been exalted. At this moment, he's seated at the right hand of the heavenly Father. Watch this, please. Satan is already under the foot of the Lord Jesus. You understand that, right? Satan bruised the heel of Christ at Calvary, but when Jesus came out of the grave alive forevermore three days later, Jesus put his nail-pierced foot squarely on the head of the serpent, and I want you to know, I'm serving a conquering Christ tonight. Romans 16 verse 20 says that God will also bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Same Bible word found in Revelation. Shortly, watch this please, shortly the devil's not only going to be under Christ's feet, he's going to be under our feet. That's what the Bible says. The only way the devil can be under our feet is we have to be seated with Jesus. Isn't that thrilling? That means someday soon... Jesus Christ is going to give us ultimate and complete victory over the world and the flesh and the devil. We're going to see Him, we're going to serve Him, and we're going to sit with Him for all eternity. What a Savior we have. Jesus is coming. But I ask you again, what difference has that made in your life? See, to talk about heavenly things and it makes no earthly difference is to miss the point. To speak of future things, but it doesn't change the present, is to miss the point. To talk about coming events, but not let it transform the way you live today, is to miss the point. And that's why when you come to Revelation 22, he doesn't stop by simply describing what's going to happen when Jesus comes. He tells us what ought to happen now. Everybody look between verse 7 and verse 12. Between the two I come quickly, Jesus tells us what we ought to be giving attention to. Here's the first. The Bible says in verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to... What's that word, church? Worship. It's amazing to me that the moment John saw all of this that was coming, the first response, look please, the natural response was, It's bigger than me. I need to worship. 
And for just a moment, he fell down before the angel. And what the angel said, no, 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 don't you worship me. As a matter of fact, he says to him in the end of verse number 9, worship God. Underline those two words in your Bible. Worship God. No man is worthy of worship. Only God is worthy of worship. He's the only worthy one, you remember, right? And so, what is the first thing we should be giving attention to? I want to tell you that in light of the day Jesus comes again, number one, every day I live now, I ought to be giving attention to worship. So let me meddle just a moment. How much time did you spend listening to the news today? How much time reading? How much time eating? How much time conducting business? How much time with family? How much time with friends? And how much time today did you give to worship? See, if you want to find out what's really important to someone, look at their schedule through the day and what they spend their money on. And I guarantee you, you've just found what's important to them. See, when people talk about worship, everybody wants to talk about going to church, like, like you know, this is some kind of group sport we do together. Matter of fact, I said to a guy not long ago, I said, we want you to come visit our church. And he said to me, well, you know, preacher, he said, I don't go to church. I worship God in the woods. You ever heard something like that? And you know what I said to him? I said, wonderful. I worship God in the woods too. He said, you do? I said, oh, yeah, I worship God out the ocean. I worship God driving down the road. I said, because I don't go to church to worship primarily. He got a repose look in his face. I said, I want to worship while I'm there too, but I don't go to church to worship because worship's not a group thing. Worship's the individual heart attitude towards God. You can be in a group that's called a worship service and not be worshiping at all. No, friend, listen, worship in Scripture is always a personal thing. And it always begins in private. In fact, do you know what the first mention of worship is in the whole Bible? First mention of worship in the whole Bible is in the book of Genesis when Abraham took his son out up on top of Mount Moriah to offer him and he said, let us go and worship there. It was, it was not some big thing everybody was watching. It was between Abraham and God. It was a personal thing. And watch this. The verse that we're reading right now is the last mention of worship in the Bible. And what is it? It's a private worship service. And the only person there is John and the man who gave him the message and God Almighty. And John is learning, look, God needs and deserves your worship. I wonder, are you a true worshiper? I didn't ask, can you sing well? I didn't ask, have you heard some nice music? I didn't ask, when was the last time you came and heard a sermon preached? I asked, when was the last time you truly worshipped God? And here's what I'm convinced of. I emphasize this Sunday morning, so this ought to sound familiar to some of us. It's interesting how God keeps bringing the subject of worship up. I'm convinced if we were better worshipers, we would be better workers. If we learn to get God in His rightful place in our life, it would rearrange every other priority because suddenly we would say, well, God is worthy of all. Number one, if you're going to get ready for the day you see Jesus, you need to worship. Here's the second thing I want you to notice in your Bible, and it's found in verse number 10. He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. In verse 7 he said, Keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now he says, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Number two, in the light of the day you're going to see Jesus. Not only should you give attention to worship, but secondly, you should give attention to the Word. It's interesting to me, but in the Bible study hour on Sunday morning, I spoke to the adults, and we started in Revelation 1. Some of you remember that. And where do we begin? We began with a simple thought, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that keep the words of the prophecy of this book. 
So it begins with us reading it and us hearing it and, and us obeying it. But when you come to the last chapter in Revelation, watch, he's not telling John to read it. He's not just telling John to keep it to himself. Now he's saying, open this up and give it to everybody else. And I say to you that in the light of the day that Jesus Christ is coming again, you and I every day ought to be taking God's Word into our own life, a steady diet of Scripture, and then we ought to be relaying what we're receiving and taking the Word of God and giving it to someone else. I met a lady today at a restaurant in town. She was a very kind woman, a Christian woman. And we started talking about spiritual things, and she, she gave testimony. She said, I know I've been born again. That's wonderful. We talked about what that meant. And then she said to me, I have a family member that's not a believer and she's very troubled right now. She said, I'm praying for salvation. I'm praying with her for that woman to be saved. And I found it interesting to me that God would this day put me in the path of someone and someone in my path that needed the same promise that I need and that I could take something God had given me and pass it along to her. And I want to say to every person in this room, I thank God for foreign missionaries who get a visa and a passport and get on an airplane, fly halfway around the world. I'm grateful to God for that. And I'm grateful for preachers. That's what I'm giving my life to as an evangelist, traveling from place to place and preaching the gospel. But I want to say to every sincere believer in this room tonight, God wants to use you to be a channel for His grace and His truth right where you are. You are a part of a Bible-loving, Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church, and I say rejoice in that, but do not keep it to yourself. Get it out to everybody else you can. In fact, did you notice? He said, don't seal this book. It's a picture. Look here, please. This is a sealed book. It's closed up. It's shut up. But God's final picture of His Word is what? It's an open book. I love that. God wants the book to be open. And that should begin every day with us opening the Word of God and meditating on it. You said you were in Revelation 22 today, but I wonder, did this day you share anything from Revelation 22 with anybody else you talked to? You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that many days what I read in the Word that morning, God not only gave it for me, God gave it for me to pass along to somebody else that very day. Isn't it amazing how God makes these divine appointments for us? How many of you believe in divine appointments? Why'd that man pull up next to you at the gas pump? Why'd you get that waitress at the restaurant? Why did you get that house? Somebody said, I worked hard and paid for it. Yes, but it was God that gave you the ability to get that home. So why do you think God put you in that neighborhood? Why did God give you that job and let you be next to that person? Let me tell you what I believe. I believe this with all my heart, that there are people all over this world who are dying for lack of knowledge. They need to know God, and we have the truth of the Word of God. We must get it to somebody else. This book we've been studying all week, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, if John had not passed it on, we would not have had this very truth. And yet, I want to say, thank God he did. Now, we must pass it on to someone else ourselves. Week after week traveling, I've been frankly shocked, shocked at the people God has put in my path on airplanes and hotels and restaurants and sometimes in the strangest ways. Sometimes at moments that I got aggravated. Now, I'm sure nobody in this room ever gets annoyed, but I, I've been annoyed sometimes. At a flight delay, something that didn't work out the right way. I remember I got all messed up some time ago. I was in Texas, and I got all messed up and, and had to spend an extra night there and, and get a, find a room and, and go to the hotel late. And do you know what God did? God put me in a shuttle 
with a man in the middle of the night who didn't know Jesus as his Savior. And we talked, and it was like the Holy Spirit just slapped me upside the head. You ever have the Holy Spirit do that? And said, pay attention, son, I'm doing something here. Stop your grumbling and complaining. I'm, I'm up to something here. In a matter of a few moments, that young man bowed his head and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Let me tell you what we're supposed to be. Every one of us are supposed to be worshipers, and we're supposed to be taking the Word of God to other people. And so it brings me to the third thing we should give attention to every day. In light of the day, you're going to see Jesus. Number one, every day you should worship. Every day you should give attention to the Word. And number three, every day you should work. That was what the Bible says in verse 12, the last verse we read. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me. I wonder, when Jesus comes, will you receive any reward? I don't know the answer to that question. Frankly, you don't know the answer to that question. Only God knows the answer to that question. But I know this, I'd hate to stand and kneel at the judgment seat of Christ and have there no reward. Jesus said, I'm bringing my reward with me to give every man according as, mark these words in your Bible, his work shall be. We don't work for salvation. It's a free gift of eternal life. Aren't you glad you don't have to earn salvation? Because you couldn't earn salvation, nor could I. But once we receive the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior, friend, there is a work to do. It is the Lord's work. I, I took a pen out a moment ago, sitting right here on the front row, and I wrote this little question right here in the margin of my Bible. It just struck me looking at those words, His work. And I wrote this question, what is your work? What's my work? You think my work's traveling around preaching sermons? No. No, my work is one thing. My work is to try to get the message of Jesus to as many people as possible while I have breath in my body and to take as many people to heaven with me as possible. What's your work? You say, well, I'm a businessman. I'm a, I'm a housewife. I'm a retired whatever. No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not asking what you did for time. I'm asking what are you doing for eternity? What is your eternal work? What's the thing you're going to stand before God someday and be grateful to God that you did? Everybody's not going to do the same thing, but everybody ought to do something. You can't reach everybody, but you can reach someone. And everybody in this church can't be the pastor of the church, but everybody in this church can have some work they're doing for the Lord and for souls. And I ask you tonight, what is your work, sir? Ma'am, what is your work for Christ? When I think of the work Jesus did for me, I'm so ashamed to think of the work He did for me at the cross and how little, how little in response I have done for Him. What is your work? There'll come a day, it'll all be over. As a matter of fact, there'll be a threshold that will be crossed in every life. It could be through death, but I believe in our generation it may be through the return of the Lord Jesus Christ where whatever you have done to that point, that'll be it. It'll just be like, boom, it's over. Just like that. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And how do I know that? Well, look at verse number 11. He says, every time I stop, say the next word. Everybody put your eyes on verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust. Circle that in your Bible, still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy, what? Still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous, what? Still, and he that is holy, let him be holy, what? 
wait a minute, I thought the Lord wanted all unjust people to be made just and all filthy people to be made clean. Oh, He does now. Verse number 11 is talking about a future moment that is just as real as the moment we're living in. Watch this, please. Where there's coming a time, there will be no more opportunity to be saved. Look, you can sit in this room not know Jesus and you can say, I'm going to put it off to tomorrow. Tomorrow may get here and tomorrow may not. But I want you to know there's going to be some tomorrow that will not come and those who are lost at that moment will be lost forever. And I want you to know what's true of lost men is true for saved people. There is a work that you and I have now while we have breath in our bodies that can be done, but there will come a moment where there will be no more work. Look, please. There will be a moment you pass out your last track you speak your last word for Christ. You share your testimony for the last time. And I want to ask you, when you stand before God, what is it that you will hope on that day you can say? What is it on that day you will hope He will say? We come to funerals and we preachers, we love to use that text that many of you just shouted out, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I want you to know, none of us can say whether the Lord's going to say well done or not. That's up to the Lord Himself. Only God truly knows. And I'll tell you this, if some of us don't get serious right now while we still have opportunity, we're not going to have much to meet when Jesus does come. Because on that day, we're going to meet God with the work that lasted for eternity. When I was about 10 years old, my dad was preaching one night. My dad was a businessman. He was not a preacher. He was a businessman. Matter of fact, when I was a little boy, he traveled all the time and made a good bit of money, and we, we traveled with him. It was great, wonderful. And then when he was in his 30s, God called him to preach. <laughs> he was bivocational for a period of time, took his first church 30 years ago. He's still pastoring the only church he's ever pastored. When I was a teenager, he left his business, walked away from it, became a full-time pastor. Now, I'm going to tell you, that'll turn your world upside down. It was a great testimony of faith to me and to my sister. Matter of fact, I watched my mom and dad. I'd never seen them any happier just serving the Lord. Just happy as they can be. I talked to him today on the phone, just happy in the Lord. My dad was preaching one night. I'll never forget the message. I don't even remember exactly all that he said, but he preached one night on the message on the subject, 12 hours to live. We took the text where God, where the Lord said, This night thy Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. He said, what if you only had 12 hours to live? And I, I, remember, I remember in that message, at certain moments, he would say, now you have 11 hours and 50 minutes left. Now you have 11 hours and 45 minutes left. Now you have 11 and a half hours left. And the time was counting down. He got to the end of the message and he said, now you have 11 hours and 15 minutes left. What will you do in the next 11 hours and 15 minutes if you're going to meet God 12 hours from now? woman got out of her seat that night and came forward. She was a prominent woman in the church. I'll never forget it. She came forward sobbing. I'd never seen anybody so broken in an invitation. She was just sobbing. And she got to the front. She said to the people of the church, she said, I've sinned. I've sinned against God. Serves no purpose for me to go into what it was, but the woman had been living really a double life. And she said that night, she said, it may cost me to say this and to confess this and to make this right. I'll make restitution. Whatever I have to do, I'll, I'll fix it. But she said, I came tonight because I don't want to meet God with that. I want to ask you, what is it you don't want to meet God with in judgment? 
whatever that is, meet Him with it now in mercy. Because Jesus is coming. I was sitting in our living room with one of our kids years ago. We were flipping through channels on the television. She was trying to get me to find something interesting on, and, and I was flipping through, and I got stopped on a documentary. You know you're getting old when you start liking documentaries. You know what I'm talking about. It was fascinating to me. It was penguins. I, I, I'm just fascinated by these penguins. They were in Antarctica, and they had 25,000 male penguins all huddled together. It was 40 below zero. All the females were smart enough to fly south for the winter, but you know us men, we're going to stick it out and prove we can, you know. 25,000 male penguins were all huddled together. Three months of darkness. Think about that. Three months they had not seen light. They had no heat. And they're all huddled together. And they're, they're, you can see them. They're shaking and they're huddled together. And they use night vision cameras to show this mass of penguins. And I'm looking at it. And all of a sudden I noticed something about this enormous crowd of penguins huddled together. Before I could get it out of my mouth, the person on the documentary asked the scientist that was giving the talk, they said, what are the penguins, what are the penguins doing? They're all facing the same direction. And I'll never forget what the man said. He said, and the timing was amazing, he produced it perfectly, he said, they are waiting for the coming of the dawn. And at that moment, that night vision camera captured the very moment that the earth tilted on its axis. And for that split second, for the first time in three months, the first rays of sunlight broke over the horizon. And when it did, all 25,000 male dumb penguins standing there were all facing with their faces outstretched in the direction of the light and the heat. Think of it. First time in three months. And they were all just waiting for the coming of the dawn. And when I saw it immediately, I thought to myself, that's what we're doing. We're living in a dark world and hearts are cold and frigid and look, everything's a mess it seems in our world, but what are we doing church? Look please, we are waiting on something. What are we waiting on? We are waiting on the coming of the dawn. Look, Jesus is coming and any moment the Son of God may break the horizon of heaven. Any moment we may be with Him. And I want to say to you tonight, if that's what you're doing is waiting, that you ought not just be waiting. You ought to be working. And when Jesus comes, He ought not find us standing around. He ought to find us busy doing the one thing He left us to do. Because Jesus is coming. Our Father, I thank you for the Word of God. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.